whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi everyone and welcome to the first That UFO podcast, The Other Show. We are on KGRA and we are very pleased to be here. My name is Andy and joining me is Dan. Dan, how are we doing? I'm great. It's great to be here and it's uh, great to, to make our debut. Be Beware, Dan. What do you mean be here? Uh, be in this windowed space that we're in. Mm. I'm, I'm stuck here. Yes, so um, welcome if you are one of our existing listeners following us over from that UFO podcast, which of course is not going anywhere. This is just a new show that we're doing exclusively for KGRA. And hello if you are one of the KGRA platform users who are finding us for the first time. You've probably guessed by now that we are not from the US, Canada, or, or South America even. I could start listing off all the places we're, we're not from. But we, <laughs> we are based in the UK. Uh, myself, I'm from Scotland. Uh, I live in England. And Dan, you are from? Uh, South Wales, if you know the show Gavin and Stacey, right where that was at. South Wales is basically the other part of London that London didn't want. <laughs> so we're, we're based in the UK. And of course, we are a podcast on UFOs. The podcast started back in May 2020. and Honestly, I've said many times on the audio podcast that if 20 people listened, I would be very happy. Here we are, what, 18 months later and on KGRA. So very pleased to be here. And this show is going to be on weekly. Uh, we hope they enjoy it and keep it on weekly. And it's very much going to be over to the listeners uh, for what you want the show to be. We are really happy with having some interviews on this today. We have an interview with Ralph Blumenthal, uh, award-winning New York Times journalist. Famous, of course, along with Leslie Kane and Helene Cooper in the UFO community for that article in 2017, uh, December 2017, in the New York Times. So Ralph is on for about 15, 16 minutes talking about his book on John Mack. And we'll be throwing to that very, very soon and then coming back to talk about it. And then some of our existing listeners got in touch and asked us to discuss some footage that they've sent over. Some of you may have seen it. Some of you may have not. And just check our thoughts and also, very recently, we've had a, a very successful interview with Australian journalist Ross Coulthart uh, off the back of his huge book, In Plain Sight, and his documentary on the phenomenon as well. And we have been asked to discuss future humans. So that's going to be the show today. Hope you enjoy it. If you check the, the ticker running along the bottom down here, I'm doing it the wrong way, but yeah, that is what it is. You will see how you can get in touch with the podcast on email, both of us on Twitter, and also, if you are so inclined, support the podcast as well. But once again, thank you for joining us. Thank you to KGRA for hosting us. And we're going to throw straight over to our interview with Ralph Blumenthal. We'll be right back to discuss that. 
Hi everyone and welcome to That UFO Podcast, the other show, exclusive interview with Ralph Blumenthal for KGRA. It's our first interview on this show. So uh, we interviewed Ralph back in April for his fantastic book. So if you want to hear a longer form version of this interview, check that out. It's on YouTube and it's available on audio platforms the world over. However, we're going to have a chat to Ralph about the book just now and then a separate interview for the normal podcast as well. Ralph Blumenthal, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Great to be here. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on as well. Uh, you're you're someone whose name since 2017 in the world of UFOs has has made a huge impact in many different ways. Um, and of course, one of those was the, the book, The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science and the Passion of John Mack. Just before we get to the book, Ralph, what sort of impact has the article in 2017 in the New York Times from yourself, Leslie Kane and Helene Cooper, had on your career and your life? Well, um, my life uh, hasn't changed that much, um, but I'm told that the article uh, did uh, have an effect on changing the paradigm, making it uh, safer, uh, let's say, for uh, mainstream media to wade into this uh, controversial topic, which is still a matter of some ridicule, unfortunately. but, um, you know, it's not really for me to say how much, you know, the article affected uh, the, um, uh, you know, podcasting uh, UFO world. Uh, we're told it did have an effect. Maybe the uh, uh, UAP report that came out June 25th uh, from the uh, Office of Director of National Intelligence was prodded in some way by our original reporting. People have said that. Um, so um, I think it's had an impact. Yeah, I think it's safe to say it's still the standard bearer for for articles on, on this subject. That might be a niche still, but um, it's certainly up there with the famous Roswell front cover from 1947 as well. So um, it's something we always look forward to now. That article itself and, and your, your research and your own passion for the subject that has developed and grown uh, encourage you to write the book The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science and the Passion of John Mack. Just for the listeners to the show who may or may not be aware, uh, can you tell us who is John Mack and how important was his work? Yeah, but I mean, just so you know the chronology, my work on the book predated by a long time uh, the work on the 2017 article. It was um, coincidental almost. Uh, One didn't necessarily lead to the other, but I'd been working on the John Mack book since 2004 uh, when I was a correspondent in Texas and stumbled across his second book, now, John Mack was a, uh, an esteemed uh, member of the Harvard psychiatric faculty. Um, he was um, a leader in his field. He had won a Pulitzer Prize for biography, uh, the life story of, of T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. Um, he distinguished himself in other books on nightmares and childhood development. So he was really a leader of the Harvard psychiatric faculty. And... Um, through a series of circumstances I outline in the book, uh, he became aware of this whole field of uh, people, this large universe of people who um, have uh, encounters that are, remain unexplained with uh, alien alien beings, or, or that's at least how they remember them. And uh, he was uh, captivated by this, not captured, <laughs> uh, but captivated by the whole um concept, uh, which, as I said, remains a mystery. And he investigated it much to the to the detriment of his career at Harvard. He was put under investigation at Harvard. He was cleared 
uh, without any wrongdoing being found uh, whatsoever. Um, and uh, that's how he really, what he's known for today, really wading into this uh, very difficult field um, and, and making an impact. What were some of Mr. Mack's takeaways in the subject? Did he have a working hypothesis? Yes, he, I mean, he did. Basically, he, uh, um, the first thing he did was rule out a lot of things. Uh, I mean, he, uh, these people came to him uh, sometimes very nervously uh, with these stories, and he began by eliminating the obvious. Uh, they were not mentally ill. I mean, that was his field as a psychiatrist. He knew when people were crazy. And he said they are not. Um, and then um, he noticed there was a consistency to the stories um, with many differences between them. But there was a basic core narrative that these beings would appear often in a conjunction to uh, or with a UFO outside the window or so, but not always. And these people would be beamed through, uh, you know, solid walls and, and window, closed windows to some kind of a craft for various um, pseudo-medical procedures, uh, often including the taking of eggs from, from women and sperm from men uh, for evidently the breeding of a hybrid race. So that's the, the core story. Now, um, he, he, John Mack quickly found that uh, these stories were being told by children as young as two, so they weren't getting it from movies and books. Um, and um, there were various um, physical uh, bits, I would say, of physical evidence, not quite, quite far from, you know, ironclad confirmation, but, you know, the sighting of UFOs, some scars that they couldn't explain afterwards, uh, the consistency of the stories, uh, the fact that it, um, th there was, seemed to be no common denominator in these people. Um, they, they weren't one kind of person. They came from all walks of life. Um, and, um, and in some cases, and this was really the most compelling, uh, there was some outside corroboration witnesses. In one case, the mother of two girls who had a sleepover, um, the girls disappeared during the night. Uh, the mother uh, found them missing, called the police. They searched everywhere and the girls were later found in their beds. And, uh, later they, um, uh, rec recounted, uh, some kind of an abduction experience during the night. So here's a case where, you know, the mother could independently verify that the girls were missing at that time. But in some cases, people weren't physically missing. It's a very complicated story. Do you think John Mack would have seen a reduced, a reduced stigma if he was doing the same work now as he'd done back then? Well, I think, uh, you know, we, we've made quite a bit of progress in terms of confirming the physical existence of UFOs. I mean, the, um, the, the UAP report, they call them now unidentified aerial phenomena. The, the uh, Pentagon prefers that. I guess it sounds less uh, controversial somehow than UFOs, but you can take your pick. Um, um, that report that came out June 25th uh, says uh, bluntly, that these things um, exist. Um, we don't know, you know, we, the government, doesn't know where they come from, uh, whether they're intelligent or not, um, how they got here, what they want with us, but uh, that's a big step forward. So I think uh, John Mack would be encouraged to hear from the government that they are now confirming that UFOs at least exist. Now, they're not saying anything about 
uh, aliens um, because they don't know and we don't know um, and they prefer not to speculate. Um, but as I said, John Mack found this association between uh, UFO people who, uh, you know, uh, claimed or seemed to remember uh, some kind of an abduction experience also remembered often uh, a UFO, um, uh, you know, in, in the vicinity. So um, I don't know what he would think today. I think he would he was he was very courageous um, and I, I think he would just plow ahead and try to figure this thing out. I mean, it remains a colossal mystery. I would love to know your thoughts, Ralph, on uh, the Galileo project, which is headed up by Avi Loeb, who's been on the podcast several times. Do you think that an institution or company will start to collect experiencer data in a modern and scientific way? Well, I've been on shows with Avi Loeb. I have great respect for him. In a way, he is continuing the um, courageous path of John Mack, although he keeps a great distance between himself and um, alien encounter stories. He, um, uh, that, that's a, a, a big thing with him. He prefers not to deal with the imperfect instruments of, 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 of human beings. Uh, he prefers telescopes and scientific measurement. I mean, that's where he's coming from. Um, but um, I, I think his, his instincts are right, that they are looking for uh, ways of confirming uh, these stories. And um, I mean, for example, uh, the story he told in um, Oumuamua about this object that sailed into our solar system in 2017 and then sailed out before anybody really knew what it was, uh, he makes a compelling case that this was an intelligently uh, designed, built, and, and controlled, or at least maybe not controlled, but uh, d dispatched uh, object. In other words, it was not a meteorite. It was not natural. It was uh, some because it changed its trajectory, it speeded up. I mean, all the things that made it suspicious to him that it was not natural. Uh, so his instincts are right. I mean, th that we have to look scientifically at this. And he faults the scientific establishment, just like John Mack did, for being a, you know, blinker vis blinkered vision, um, not seeing what they don't want to see. Um, you know, very um, orthodox and conservatives. I mean, scientists are supposed to be adventurous and, um, you know, uh, ex explorers of the unknown, but uh, this field has uh, intimidated many of them, too many of them. So um, in his book, Avi Loeb calls for science to be um, more open uh, to, um, to the mysterious. And uh, he and John Mack would have, would have gotten along well on that. And do you think to truly explore the experience or phenomenon that there has to be a happy medium of that human element, the stories, uh, as well as the science? Or do you think they can live independently from each other? Well, the stories, you know, are anecdotal. Um, and the problem is that um, uh, unlike uh, UFOs, uh, which have been, uh, you know, captured by Navy uh, measuring devices, um, on the on the jets, on the uh, F-18s, and by the by Navy ships on radar, etc. Um, unlike that, which is given a physical um, existence, a physical confirmation, physical reality to UFOs or UAP, um, um, alien encounters haven't had that. Um, 
they famously um, frustrate all efforts to capture them on video, photography, uh, any kinds of uh, you know imaging devices. Um, for reasons that remain mysterious, uh, this phenomenon um, is very shy. <laughs> um, it doesn't let itself be tracked. Um, now, so that makes it different, really, from UFOs. In other words, th there is evidence, uh, you know, scientific evidence of the physical existence of UFOs. There uh, is not th the same evidence, uh, certainly, uh, of, of alien encounters. So we are left with the human factor. Now, John Max said that the, the, the science of witnessing, uh, which, by the way, we accept in court, you know, people get convicted and sentenced to death based on witness accounts. Uh, so we do accept it, that witnessing has to be uh, refined and accepted as a scientific tool uh, more than it has. Um, but I think, um, um, again, the, the, making note of the dichotomy of the UFOs and, and uh, experiencer accounts uh, leaves a lot of opening for scientific uh, exploration of these experiencer accounts. Ralph, if someone picks up your book, The Believer, what do you hope they take away from it after reading? I hope they, they see the courageousness the courage of, of a John Mack, uh, who really um, risked his uh, esteemed career. By the way, he, as I say, he he won it. He was a Pulitzer Prize winner. Uh, he had um, distinguished himself on the Harvard faculty for he started mental health services for the poor in Cambridge. Um, he was a, a anti-war protester, anti-nuclear weapons. He uh, traveled the Middle East trying to make peace. Um, between the uh, Israelis and the Arabs. We know how that turned out, not his fault. Um, but uh, he was very courageous and um, he was willing to risk his, his reputation and his career uh, to delve into things that um, other professors and scientists are very wary uh, of doing. So um, I, I think that's one um, big takeaway from my book. I think the courage of somebody to take on an unpopular subject, subject of ridicule. Um, and he did, uh, you know, come in for quite a bit of ridicule from his colleagues and, and the press and cartoons making fun of him. Uh, but he was willing to risk that. So I think that that's probably the number one takeaway. And also uh, the, the complexity of the issue. Um, I start my book with a story of a conference at MIT in 1992 that drew John Mack and atomic scientists and psychiatrists and folklorists and religious scholars um, all grappling with this mystery. Um, and it is a mystery. And the, the so-called debunkers and skeptics who have a, a flip answer uh, to this, like, oh, it's you know sleep paralysis. Oh, it's, it's uh, publicity seeking. These people are looking for you know, uh, fame, um, or, or mental illness or, or hallucinations. Uh, I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, theories have been thrown out there, none of which uh, really get you very far once you look into it. So I think, um, the, the second big takeaway is the complexity of the issue. And it, it, it is a real mystery. Um, and the more you get into it, the more you realize how difficult it is. 
if people want to hear a longer and more detailed interview with yourself, Ralph, and the book, they can check out our interview on YouTube and audio platforms. It was episode 38 if people want to look back, but I would strongly encourage anyone to go out and pick up The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and The Passion of John Mack by Ralph Blumenthal. Ralph, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Hopefully you enjoyed that one, folks. That was our exclusive with Ralph Blumenthal on his book, The Believer, which is about the life and times of researcher John Mack. Dan, you were uh, with me for that interview. People can check out a longer form version of that that we recorded back in April when we first spoke to Ralph. You can check that out on That UFO Podcast on YouTube or you can check it out on any audio platform as well. We go into it in a lot more detail and do some listener questions off the back of that too. Um, we also spoke to Ralph recently when we recorded that interview about his recent article in The Debrief that we will we'll also discuss as part of this as well. But Dan, what were your thoughts then? You were, you were with me for the interview with Ralph um, and his book on John Mack. It was it was a fascinating interview. Ralph is such a gentleman. Um, it's always intimidating to to talk to very experienced people, let alone a you know Pulitzer winner. Um, but he was fascinating. You you know we we discussed everything from, or you guys discussed everything. I should say from uh, experiences, um, the relationships to UFOs, because of course not everyone that gets abducted sees a UFO and vice versa. Um, why the recent piece, the debrief debrief piece, wasn't in the New York Times. Um, and interestingly, we you, you guys spoke about the Wilson documents and Ralph said that they were never actually in the article. Um, so they weren't cut from, you, you know, the article that came out a while ago that everyone thought um, they, they were just never in there. And it never got to the, I guess, the high level of proof it needed to, to be put in the New York Times. Yeah, I thought he was going to spit on me at that point when I when I brought that up. Uh, but yeah, he very, <laughs> he very quickly let us know that, do you know what, it wasn't going to be in there. And I think that was one of those things back earlier in the year when we started hearing about crash retrieval, crash retrieval articles and such, what may or may not have been within those. And I don't think it's a, a secret that Ralph and his colleagues were unhappy at the internet hype that went on at the time and has continued around some of these pieces. And it can be really, really detrimental to what eventually does get in just because of the way it was discussed online. Is that fair though, Dan? Do you think that's something that people should hold back on because how, how can you get the general public and general population online to not discuss these things yeah absolutely i think the the issue was that someone posted a live stream when when ralph was talking to someone about that uh, the wilson davis documents and um the notes and the conversation from that live stream uh, got out and they were discussed and it generated kind of a lot of expectation. And as we all know, big hype, big letdown. Um, and for, for me, it, it was great to hear Ralph say, say that it was never in the article. Um, and it was interesting and something that I think we all, you know, we, we all care about. We don't want to negatively affect the discussion of this subject um, in the community. So it's, it's something to take to heart, his little rant, you know? Like, it's great to have exciting news, but sometimes we should buy our tongues and let it develop how it does yeah and you know what even even to now with a large part of what ralph's work has been focused on with the book uh, and his article in the debrief is on experiencers people who have either a physical or non-physical experience with beings craft or, or otherwise 
it's a really sensitive subject because they can go through some really traumatic and harrowing experiences. We hear so much about these, you know, positive experiences, but you hear about as many negative ones as well. Um, all sorts of theories are, are thrown about, you know, whether these are based off of some childhood trauma or they, they don't actually happen, that they're dreams, but there just seems to be a lot of evidence that, you know what, there are some people that do have a very real and genuine experience, whether that is a physical or non-physical one that happens. What, what is your take on, on the abduction phenomenon phenomenon itself anyway? It's, it's really interesting. I don't think it's as clear cut necessarily as something comes from another planet and swoops someone up in a, in a, you know, a light beam. Um, a lot of these experiences are to do with consciousness and, you know, pe people are in, in kind of beds and their partners kind of disappear from their, their view. And it's almost like it, it happens in the same space as dreaming which is what you know we, we always think of when we think of kind of the astral plane and lucid dreaming and sleep paralysis and all those things. Um, and I, I'm intrigued by the, the research currently going on with um, psilocybin and use there because a lot of the same patterns are coming up. So I think we're starting to kind of get a grasp on some kind of new language we can use to talk about these things. We spoke to Dr. Andrew Gallimore a couple of months ago on psychedelics and gateway drugs, as they're commonly known. And like you say, there, there almost seems to be potentially that space in between being in a deep sleep or a dream and being awake, that maybe it isn't just your, your brain firing off all sorts of random connections as you kind of reset during the night, but maybe your, your conscious mind is something that very much can go places as well. And potentially there there are people who are having abduction experiences that we talked about the example dan you said that people see their partners disappear from their bed beside them but equally you could potentially see your partner in bed the whole evening or asleep on the couch and they are having some kind of non-physical abduction experience where the mind goes but the body doesn't it's so difficult though to we're going to look at i mean the p word the proof word where is the proof that that happens? Where is the evidence? Because you look at all the evidence and proof we have of, you know, uh, craft or potentially beings, multiple witness accounts of stories, not just the more recent military ones, but you talk about the aerial school phenomenon, Rendlesham, all this sort of stuff. And you would say there's a lot more evidence for that happening, but it's still scrutinized massively. Even Roswell, to use the, the biggest one ever, so how do you start to have a conversation in a serious mainstream fashion for something that it is literally almost always one person's narrative or story? Well, we're seeing a kind of similar similar thing we need to do in, in the kind of, I'd say, nut and bolts area. You know, we've gone from something that's very stigma attached to now using language that we have five observables to describe you know what these craft are doing we all kind of have learned all sorts of military terminology and so on and so forth to be able to discuss what what happens when these encounters happen and we kind of need the same thing for abductions so if it's something consciousness based and consciousness is this incredibly you know wonderful thing that's everywhere like like a lot of people seem to think um then we need to be able to measure that somehow and, you, you know, it used to be that we couldn't measure brainwaves at all. But now I have this little doohickey that I can hook up to my phone and put on my head. And, you know, it's like this million pound ECG that, um, or not ECG, I forget, EEG, um, that 
is now just at home. And those kind of technological advances allow us to just measure more. There was a time where we didn't think gravity waves, waves were real, but now they're a de facto thing. Same with black holes, you know, they were just hypothesized and we only recently got a picture of it to say, look, this is an actual real thing. But there was this big period of time where people still believed in black holes, you know, and, and it's in that kind of space that we need people figuring out just how, how we talk about this and how we gather the data we need to, because setting up webcams in people's rooms to, to see if they get abducted might not show anything at all, you know? Now, people far more qualified and far more articulate than myself have discussed and written and blogged, made made you know documentaries about this subject. Something I'm, I've been thinking about, though, Dan, is, you know, we, we look at the case studies within Ralph Blumenthal's article uh, on the debrief, which I, I would encourage people to check out. These are from your, your common everyday people. Are we, or do you think, I suppose I have to ask you, that the same beings or entities that are involved in these sorts of experiences are related or the same ones that are buzzing military craft in the US? Because I've never heard of people being abducted by a Tic Tac. It's, I mean, it's a very, very, very good question. And it's, there, there is, there's data for this somewhere. We know the satellites are up there. So if, you know, a craft was coming down and doing something, it would have been tracked. Um, Traditionally, we think of it as the same thing, but you're right. You know, we we've never really seen anyone or heard of anyone abducted by, uh, you, you know, a big white cigar. I guess um, those tend to just float. But I don't know. The, these these ships seems to have seem to have different functions. So maybe well, the okay. Tic can't do that. You know. Yeah. So you you mentioned that, and that's something Lou Elizondo talked about on his interview. We have mentioned several times with Terry Verts, the the astronaut, where potentially these different craft do serve different functions and purposes. And again, there's a whole conversation around, are they aware of each other? You know, Lou thinks they are related, given the propulsion systems they all use are one and the same. Like all our all our vehicles are, are very much driven by fossil fuels, but they look very different from motorbikes, but that cars, could be, aircraft. You know, we, we have, um, you know, standard, kind of petrol oil engine vehicles all over the world but the cultures aren't the same and the way the people are in the world aren't the same you know so we could be looking at something like that do you, do you think there's a good chance then that the governments of the world who are interested in this where we're probably talking predominantly here the the u.s government that they have an awareness of if you see a saucer that's something you should be wary of if you see a tic tac not so wary you know, it makes me think of the 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 Venom movie that's coming out, Let There Be Carnage. There's a scene in the, the very quick trailer for that where he goes, oh, S-H-I-T, that's a red one. And there's that awareness that, you know what, they're from the same sort of, of family, but this is a bad one. And I just wonder, do you have governments that know triangles are a bit wary, sauces are bad, tic-tacs are empty, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think there's a good chance of that or do you think they really don't know? I think there's a good chance that there's some kind of differentiation there. You, you know, these craft might be mysterious, but their behavior is something that you can see. So if we're talking about something like, say, the Kolaris event where you had orbs going through walls and burning people, you know, we're talking different colored orbs. So I think based on that, if I ever saw, say, a red orb flowing towards me, I'd instinctively be like, oh, red is warning. Let's back off from this thing, you know. But it's not necessarily correct because 
you know, for example, the Rendlesham craft, we we didn't really get any importance of color associated with warning there. It was just a light. So it it's interesting. Nature seems to signal through colors. Um, so I don't I don't think that's completely off the mark, you know. Yeah, I, I tend to think that when you hear about senators, congressmen and women being briefed, that this is the sort of stuff that they maybe get that that is that next level up. For example, talking them through that there are various shapes that we have, you know, on record, on film. We have this, we have this, we have this. And they probably get told we have an understanding or assumption that these craft perform this function. We have an understanding, as Chris Mellon once said, that the triangular craft are performing some sort of I was just going to mention that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Always one of my favorite things from his conversation with with David Marler, whose book is on the the pile just here on on black triangular UFOs. So I I think that will be the sort of discussion that goes on in these briefings. I I don't doubt these briefings. These these you know high ranking politicians probably ask, so are we dealing with aliens? Where are they from? I imagine they're told at that point, we don't know, we can't answer those questions. But what they are told is a little bit more information on size of craft, shape of craft and assumptions of that functionality. And I think, I mean, that would be fascinating just to hear that it kind really of stuff. Would, yeah. And yeah, maybe look, the next UAP task force report that comes out, whoever whoever knows when, if that happens. But I'd like to see that in the conversation. Do you foresee, Dan, a time in the near future where experiencers are going to have their say? Or do you think we're still a ways away from that? I think we're a bit... We're, we're away from it, but I don't think we're as far away as people think. You, you know, we, we're at the point now where we've been told UAP are real. And I'm not talking, you, when I say that to my, my friends, they go, well, of course they're real. They're just unidentified things in the sky. And I always emphasize to them, no, 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 this is a bit more granular than yet, that. You know, it's not just something in the sky they haven't looked at. It's something in the sky that has, you know, radar data. Um, it has eyewitnesses. It has all these different things associated with it that, show that it's not what that sentence is getting at you know when when we say uap we mean like the name of the show the other category yeah and uh, i suppose dan's told you why we called it the other show um the idea that these beings are referred to as the others in various different forms and ways that's the reason behind it so if you thought the maybe Andy was just being really lazy and calling it the other show <laughs> that they do. That there was a little bit of thinking behind it, folks. Listen, you can check out that Ralph Blumenthal interview we done back in April. It's available on audio platforms and on YouTube as well. You can also check out our latest interview, which is out available now. It should be episode 62 if you search that on the podcast feeds as well. And we talk about Ralph's article with the debrief and like Dan discussed some of those highlights as well. That's available wherever you can get your podcasts too. So please check that one out. And we also mentioned Ross Coulthart's interview. You may or may not be aware, but we did speak to him very recently. Very candid, a lot of information and some new nuggets in there as well. So please do go and check that one out. Again, audio or YouTube. It's very I, much I will also emphasize that Ross has since been told he can't talk about something he said in that interview. So be sure to check it out. Yeah. So, so I'm not being a tease. It's to do with the frequencies um, of the track craft. Um, but yeah, go go listen to Ross in his own words talk about it. The chapters are all there, so you can skip to it. He got into a little bit of trouble, didn't he? But you know, that's we're we're not to blame for that, and neither's he. It sounds like he he went a little bit further than he was expected to, or even he expected to go himself. I I don't think it was the Men in Black, though. So I don't think there's need for anyone to you know go. The government got to Ross, you know. <laughs>
Nope. And if you've got a count of taking a shot for every time Dan hits his microphone, then the goal <laughs> there is take two shots because he's just done it twice. He's done it about three times before we hit record as well. Very Listen, handsy. <laughs> moving on to the last part of the show for today it flies by um we have a bit of a listener section and i want to try and make sure the last third of each show or last part of the show is over to you the listener the viewer get in touch with the show all the information's scrolling along the ticker down the bottom as well um this is from one of our patrons brian lemery now brian sent us this over uh, a piece of footage that you may or may not be familiar with that you might know as the turkey ufo from 2008 to run about then and i just want to share it with you so if you're if you're listening to this on audio the the video will show you that the footage as well but this is probably my favorite piece of of ufo footage that we've got out there um i, I mean i love the tic tac gimbal go fast there's various different bits of footage but in terms of this one never really being debunked let's let's throw to it now okay there's, so there's something going... very unique about this one as well isn't there yeah, I'm. I've got a good feeling about this one, so let's bring it up uh, now. So I'm going to start. Just start playing it, okay? So we won't play the audio within the video because then you'll hear the audio over ourselves. The the link for this will be in the description. But this was filmed, as you can see, by camcorder back in uh, May of two thousand eight. And before Turkey. we had stabilization technology, clearly. Yeah, but listen, let's be honest. Uh, given looking, yeah, given the, the, the distance this is filmed at and the zooming in and out, it's probably as as good or as you would get on a camera phone. Yeah, yeah, especially, especially you know, at that time as well. And I th I'm fairly sure these were VHS cams as well. Yeah, um, it, looks, it looks like you're old if you're, a, if, yeah, I think they had it in the US as well, but you have been framed type. Uh, type yeah. Clip. I, well, I remember seeing a few photos and there was a long telephoto lens on the front of the camera. So, you know, the, the person who filmed it certainly didn't skimp because this happened over multiple nights, right? And they had the camera set up filming them. Yeah, it, it happens. There's quite a, there's quite a long clip and we're not going to play the full thing. You know, we've got limited time here on, on KGRA. But to be fair, the, one of the, the debunking hypotheses was that this was a cruise liner. And just because of the darkness and the position, it's the front of the ship and you're seeing what is basically the where they're steering the ship from and that you can see the the crew in there as well i i don't see this at all being a a cruise liner i get what they're trying to get at but this looks to me like there is some sort of craft in there um and it, it does i know some people say otherwise but i think you can definitely see in some of these clips that the beings they point at in the front as well i don't know if that's a bit of is it pareidolia dan where you, you that's see, right that's the right term seeing yeah. like you know mary's face in toast yeah so uh, what, what's your immediate thoughts dan on on the footage itself well you know when whenever you see footage like this you have to be sure you you can't just jump in and go it's a ufo and double down you have to explore the other options and the the theory that it's a cruise ship was an interesting one because sometimes the horizon can play tricks on you you know we we have the yeah. phenomena such as the flashing green light and things like that just things that we don't understand that happen um you know at the horizon um i forget the name of it now but there's one that kind of makes things on the horizon appear slightly above the horizon it looks um, the famous one recently of the ship floating um oh that's right, right okay so this is that's the Morgana, one i think so i think that's this it. is the one dan where people basically say you can see the beings here yes that's right for me, uh, I've got to say the yeah, scale is yeah. always off, but I fully admit that that's just my brain looking at something that 
you know, my expectations are in play there. The, the size what, what to ship mean? ratio. Like yeah, the sure. heads just look too big, you, you know? But again, that's, that's I, I guess that's my artistic side coming out and kind of go, no, this is how it should look and they should be this proportion to the ship. But truly, if that is a genuine UFO, you know, our brains can't process what we're seeing properly. So yeah, and that's what <laughs> I throw my hands up and, and you know, I've said this before, Dan, that you don't know what a true UFO looks like or what these beings may look like. Like you're assuming, well, if that was a, a huge ship, then the beings themselves, they would have a decent sized ceiling above them. But maybe that's enough room. Maybe that's all they need. Maybe and, it's like a TARDIS and I'm just not experiencing the inside the same way they are, you know? You've went full geek already, like just into the first episode. Hey, uh, it's a good way of talking about these things because there are a lot of ideas packed into the TARDIS, you know? <laughs> and do you know what? It could be an observation deck. It could be just where they're walking to. It may be that that's as much room as they have. It could be that they're they're pretty tall. And yeah. it's just, yeah, it, it could be all sorts of things, but it's, yeah, you, you have to keep an open mind. And if you're going to humanize all this stuff, that's where you can start to struggle because you start to think, well, we would have it bigger or that's not exactly. what it would look like we don't know we we still do not have as much as there is a lot of great evidence and there's stuff i believe and stuff i don't believe to be et ut crypto terrestrial whatever you want to call it i think when you look at footage you've got to understand that we do not have one single piece of footage that is 100 confirmed to be a craft of non-human origin we have like the the gimbal go fast stuff that we hope or we think is given what we've heard about it and they do some incredible things but until we get that you know this is definitely non-human and here's how we know then you can't really put together can you that why a craft is or isn't looking the way it does no not at all and and alex dietrich and dave fravor they they speak to this um they they all say that the tic tac was moving weirdly and within you, you know a split second you just knew that's not how things we make move you know and you, your brain just yeah. can't quite grapple with it yeah um so dan i'm just going to ask you you're not allowed to sit on the fence with this one if you had to land on the side of this is definitely non-human or exotic technology shall we put it that way i mean they could be humans for all we know in, in the front of that or can, is it, it can i pick one of the five buckets ah go on because i would put it in the other bucket comfortably okay you know it just doesn't there's nothing in this for me to comfortably put it in you know it's american tech it's yada yada tech just to me this is something other cool so you think we've we've got something anomalous shall we say yeah yeah, absolutely. You know, this is definitely something that if it happened now, this video would be sent to the UAPTF. They'd be looking at it, right? And let's be honest, if this is truly anomalous, then it's it's some of, if not the best footage ever recorded. Yeah. And and I mean, the, the event itself shows a trend of the beings coming and observing from the same place every single night where they could be seen, you know, that, that's a that's an interesting trend in and of itself. Yeah. So the, the cruise I... ship thing as well ships have transponders and this is 2000 like if it was a cruise ship they would have known it was a cruise ship they would have been able to see the transponder and even if not it was all over the news at the time so the cruise company would have come forward and gone whoop that was us sorry you know yeah do you know something dan i'll just uh, share there something i thought was quite interesting from the actual uh, footage itself i'll stop sharing it now because uh, well, we've had to look at it enough is 
some of the comments from people who are Turkish, if you watch the video, you'll hear the, the audio and it is in their native language. And a few people who are Turkish themselves have commented on the video, Dan, to say um, the things they talk about in the video are extremely real and authentic. Uh, not in any order. They're, what the hell is this? You've got it. Zoom in, zoom in. I swear it's on the water. Look, it's below the moon. It looks like a dot to the naked eye. So they were they weren't seeing what we are seeing on the video with their naked eye. They were seeing a dot, but they were filming. They were filming it, and it's that's so that's another good point. We always find this right. You know, you know, if you go out and t- try and take a picture of the moon on a clear night when it's a full moon, it always looks crap. You, you know, what you see with your eyes isn't what you see with the camera. So you've always got to do exactly what you're saying now. But go, go on. No, no, that that's it. So for me, do you know what? I absolutely will land on the side of that being a a piece of footage that is anomalous. So, yeah, thanks for that one, Brian Lemery. Uh, listen, Reach folks, out. I would love for more people to get in touch with us, especially if you're if you're new to the show as well and you're joining us for the first time on KGRA, then get in touch via Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter is probably the one that we're on the most. We're always on the, the UFO Twitter. Uh, DM or email the podcast at UFO, U-A-P-A-M at gmail.com and we will review your footage, discuss your own points, or just answer any questions that you might have for ourselves as well. Uh, moving on, we had Mikey. Mikey, again, is one of the Patreons who's over on our Discord server as well. So hi to Mikey. Recently, we spoke to Ross Coulthard and a, a really popular interview. Ross was excellent on that as well. He spoke about a lot very passionately, and it was a, a real pleasure to, to speak to him. If you have, I'm sure you've heard of it, but we've got Ross's book, In Plain Sight, Absolutely, probably the, the book of the year in terms of, of UFOs. There's been a lot Fantastic of great ones, read, yeah. but yeah. Ross is... really distilled, because it's, you know, no no one's going to yell at me for saying that these are, these are muddy waters in this subject. And and I think Ross did a really good job of kind of filtering that muck out and, and narrowing people's focus in, you know, to where we need to be looking. Do you know what? And I don't think he'll mind me saying this, but there was so much brought up in the body of the interview that, that some people who are very well versed on the subject chipped in to say that ross isn't necessarily bringing up everything that's brand new there's a lot of stuff that ross is new to in this subject and he finds for the first time but he's done the digging off the back of it as well and and for example there was a talk of a crashed craft in mexico and ryan sprague who is also on kgra with somewhere in the skies had mentioned that he had actually done a show some time ago based on this this crashed craft and Ryan and he tagged his sh- the show in it as well. And I said to Ryan, Do you know what? I, I hadn't heard of that. And I think something that does benefit this is Ross is bringing a whole new audience into this as well with his credibility and mainstream credentials. What that is allowing people to do, though, is go and find uh, information and find cases that they didn't even know before. I would love to think that off the back of, of Ross bringing that up and people, even like myself, who wasn't aware of that case, that I'll go and check out Ryan's show and check out his deep dive into that. And again, anything he brings up, people come into it and go check out people's shows with Lou Elizondo, other journalists like Ralph Blumenthal, Leslie Kane, George Knapp, obviously, famously. So that's a real benefit of something like In Plain Sight, bringing together a lot of well-known information in a very concise way. It hits a nice tone, but also there's a lot of new information in there that because Ross is hearing it for the first time, He's maybe not had that confirmation bias that other people would have that, well, this definitely happened this way. Ross hears the the outline of it and decides, do you know what? I want to know more. And he goes and speaks to those big players as well. 
and I think that's a really good thing the book does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ross, he he used what we call snail mail um, because there's I, I don't know if you know this. Um, he he did an investigation into phone hacking um, and found that pretty much any encryption that we have on our devices can be easily broken. And and this investigation was a while ago, and it includes Signal as well. So just a heads up. Um, Ross is a very experienced researcher. Um, he does the right thing by the public and you, you know speaks the truth out loud, which which a lot of people don't do. Um, so yeah, hu huge respect for Ross and, and the amount of legwork he puts in. Well, one of the talking points, Dan, that Ross brought up uh, was picked up on by Mikey over on Patreon. And he said to us that uh, he would love for us to explore the future human hypothesis presented by Ross Coulthard recently and how we would or could be in a future confrontation. Um, are they meddling with us now to impact the timeline to their benefit? Ross did a tweet where it's been made possible in theory this could happen. Personally, uh, Mikey prefers the alien hypothesis because, you know, it's I think he's just a bit attached to it. But the, the future human one, human one is... It's relatively, it's not new, but it's something that more and more we're hearing brought up by, by officials and being discussed as a real possibility. Where are you on this one? Um, I really like the idea. I recently uh, finished watching Fringe, and this seems kind of right up that street. And the idea in Fringe is that, and and there's a lot of crossover. I'm not saying that it's true. It's just a way of talking about it. Um, that time happens, future, past, present, happens all at once. Um, and because the universe is infinite, every possible future and every permutation of the past and present happens too. Um, and in the show Fringe, one of those possible futures is full of kind of, to us, they would look alien, but they use a lot of tech. They've lost their emotions and they're coming back to the present to ensure that theirs is the timeline that exists. I think that's a really interesting idea. Um it could be in play for, you know, reveals, reveal yourselves too soon and you don't get the right timeline. And there, there's all these interesting implications to, to that idea. Um, but we should be, you know, the word alien, um, it means a certain thing. And, and humans could still be alien to us. If I rock back with my iPhone a uh, hundred years, I'm fairly sure someone would shout witch or alien to me, you know? Yeah, maybe not we, which but yeah yeah <laughs> we we had the discussion a while ago didn't we when lou elizondo was on the podcast about his mankind or mankinds and he mentioned an analogy about a, a cigarette or cigar burning and if people haven't heard it what lou said was that if you imagine a you know cigar and the uh, the bit that's burning is the or the burned away bit is the past that you've then got the bit that's still to burn and that is the future we live in the cherry that is smoking at the moment and that is the present but when you look at it, it's not symmetrical and it will just, you know, be like a kind of jagged line with some bits overlapping. And he's saying, what if there was something else that could experience that overlap, that they were living like a linear A to B timeline? We're, we're talking here, like the analogies addressing quantum stuff, because quantum stuff is just the smallest stuff that exists. So we're talking, it's called the Planck length. And basically, you, you can do it with a ruler as well. If you imagine a centimeter measurement, we can break that into 10 millimeters, but we can break those 10 millimeters smaller and we can break those smaller and smaller. And we can just keep going until we get to the smallest possible thing in the universe where, you know, we realize, hold on, 
back there we were okay with 10 millimeters and now our measurements are so much crazier and there's all this stuff in between we never appreciated i hit my mic again yeah, um, take a, take a yeah. <laughs> and yeah so i just i just wanted to kind of you know put a pin in that and say we're talking quantum stuff our brains and bodies seem to do quantum stuff something that blew my mind that I didn't appreciate is you you know just the process of photosynthesis that you learn about in school that's a quantum process plants make food for themselves through quantum transformation and that sounds like a vague phrase because we don't really know how they do it we just kind of get to it and go it's a quantum thing it, it, it works really well you know <laughs> dan let me ask though Pe people have mentioned i've seen some of the conversations around this online that if it is future humans we've got us coming from the future or a future to now then that's a good sign that we're okay we've not been wiped out we've not wiped ourselves out that's not necessarily true though is it no no not at all it's not at all true uh yeah we we don't know what we're going to look like in the future i i really like the work of michael masters because he kind of extrapolates from our past what we're going to look like into the future um there were also some nasa studies done where they looked at kind of the aging process and what was happening to astronauts when they were in space and generally the eyes get bigger the brain gets bigger our bodies wither away and you can kind of see that i'm just describing a gray at this point right like yeah. you know you jump a thousand years into the future and that's what you're looking at once we've been out traveling in space um so it, it's a really really intriguing hypothesis to me and in a way, I'd kind of be like, oh, that's a bit boring. I was hoping for aliens, but it's still this incredible thing, right? I mean, yeah, it could be a version of humanity so far in the future coming back to look at us as a famous time and and on the earth where, you know what, there was a race of humans that really had a chance to do something and go somewhere, but they they mucked up massively via whether it's global warming, whether it was climate change, whether it was nuclear war you know, viruses, whatever it may be, man-made viruses, all that kind of stuff. And they're coming back to look and basically see what did they do? Where did they go wrong? Like yeah. almost as a tourist attraction. We we hear a lot, um, Tom DeLonge says it a lot, that we're being influenced, you know, directly, indirectly, in all sorts of ways by these can beings. I, can I just check, is that Tom DeLonge, famous guitarist from Blink-182? Yes, correct. Tom DeLonge, famous guitarist from Blink-182. And that's Angels and Airwaves, life forms mm -hmm. out now. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I got that name from. Um, but yeah, he he speaks about how these things influence us. Um, and we, you know, you've already addressed the fact that these machines are all looking very different. So we could be looking at multi multiple different timelines str struggling to come into existence by influencing us in the past. If you had to to pin it down and especially i think this is maybe a good place to do this on the first episode as we start to wrap up dan the time has flown by where do you land on what is going on if i can ask the question that way you know what are we dealing with in terms of of ufos uaps flying saucers and all i think there is a mechanism for telepathy and and all the weird anomalous stuff that we see in the universe and the mechanism is used by other forms of life in the universe to travel around and do everything that they do. And I think it's just undiscovered to us. But I think right now we're on the cusp of doing that. Um, so, yeah. 
Did I answer your question? <laughs> Do you know what? I will let the listeners and viewers of the show tell me if you have answered that question or not for show two. So I would love to kick off the next one um, or in one of maybe show two or three, just depending on when that will be in a couple of weeks' time. If you get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever the kids use these days, don't use TikTok because I'm not on it. it um, any way you can get in touch with us is appreciated and let us know your thoughts we'd love some stuff for this listener section of the show again send us over links to your favorite footage if you want us to discuss and break that down any questions or talking points would be greatly appreciated as well anything you want to see as a segment on the show we're more than happy to give that a chance as well this will be fluid it'll evolve as we go along but we hope you've enjoyed very much this first one dan thank you Thank you. It's been uh, it's been great fun, and thank you to everyone for to, for listening to our debut on KGRA, or watching if you're watching or watching uh, that too. Yeah, either or. Uh, or. If you if you made it this far, well done, and we look <laughs> forward to seeing you again for show two. Thanks very much, folks. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shut out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see.